I'm Jacob Schatz. And I'm Bryce Miller. And this is Talking Atlas. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Atlas. And oh, oh my God. <laughs> Good start. Solid, solid. This has been a time. We're still in unstable spoiler season, much to our surprise. And we're going to explain why in a minute. Part of why we, in the Jacob and me sense, Jacob and I, because because I can recall when to properly apply the grammar that I learned in sixth grade. Earlier than that, actually. Anyway, Jacob and I <laughs> are personally still in spoiler season because the Unstable Spoilers Part 3 solo episode I did got corrupted. So we're doing this now. The other reason that we're in spoiler season still, Jacob? There are more cards that have been spoiled for this set. Kind of? And it releases, like, yesterday, from your perspective. Time travel. Well, not from their perspective, because from their perspective, they might hear this as soon as the second Sunday in December, or as late as... The end of time? The end of time. I really hope our podcast is around at the end of time. That'd be pretty sweet. Floating out there in some Voyager-esque space probe is this particular episode of Talking Atlas. (laughs) On some distant planets, there are vast cults dedicated to the worship of this mysterious Atlas and frog and their dulcet tones. (laughs) Just chanting to a monolith, dulcet tones, dulcet tones. People enact Ritual sacrifices with two people (laughs) mantling the form of the Honorable Jacob Schatz and the mythical Bryce Miller. How come I'm the Honorable one? We both know that's no, (laughs) there's no way that's worked out. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) What am I saying here? So yeah, we have some more silver bordered cards to spoil for you this week. uh, Or at the very least talk about because there are multiple copies different copies of some of the cards in Unstable. In some cases, this is a card that has the same name, but a different text box. And as we know in Silver Border, text boxes matter now, for some reason. Maybe you can steal them. Along with pretty much everything else. Also, in the spirit of Unstable Spoilers, we've been spending the other two episodes going from the earliest things spoiled to the most recent things spoiled. But we're throwing that script out. That was the script. You literally threw the script out. What are we going to do? Um, what we always do? Well, what we mostly do. Make it up as we go along. Yes. Also, I will have you know (laughs) that I really, really wanted to do that bit. So I reached into my backpack and pulled out whatever sheaf of papers I had. (laughs) (laughs) I hope they weren't actual design documents. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that I need to pick up like, my medical records from the floor of my bedroom. <laughs> I'm like 90% sure that was my last year of blood work. <laughs> Let it never be said that we don't suffer for our art here at Talking Atlas. This is a mess. This is perfect for a silver bordered episode. Before we get into card spoilers even, though, there's a bit of... I don't know what to call it, philosophy, politics, around uh, the governance of Commander. Oh, because... some of this is my sheet music for my last musical. Huh. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Please, in the time please that we've continue. Left you, <laughs> in the time that we've left you, the governing body, what is it, the ruling council that presides the... over all of EDH? I think they prefer... The Rules Committee, there we go. The Rules Committee for Elder Dragon Highlander, Commander, whatever name you prefer to call it, decreed that through this holiday season, silver-bordered cards, all silver-bordered cards, would be legal in the format of Commander. With a ban list. Well, with a ban list. Ooh, I didn't hear about the ban list. There is a ban list. It was in the announcement. Gosh, Jacob, don't you read? No, goodness, no. Let's That's fair. Why do I write scripts anyway? <laughs> Apparently just so I could throw them out cartoonishly in front of my mic. That is the first thing that you've ever used a script for on this podcast. <laughs> so yes, you're correct. If anyone out there cares 
we have written episode outlines, but this is the 21st century. We don't write them down on paper. <laughs> just just right. to clear that up, if someone out there was like, wow, these talking Alice people, they're so professional. Under what circumstances would literally anyone say that about us? <laughs> well, maybe not about us, but at least about me. <laughs> Can we please talk about this card game? But I'm having so much fun, Jacob. That's what really matters. What do we think about this? What do we think about Silver Border being decreed legal in commander? Okay, okay. So there's a ton of additional context needed for this. Sure. The first thing, and this was not necessarily all context that was provided with the initial announcement. Silver Border cards are legal until January 15th which is the next time that ban and restricted lists will traditionally update as we are used to. This is not, I repeat, this is not, and I'm pretty much quoting Sheldon Meenery, the head of the EDH Rules Committee, this is not a trial period. This is not something the Rules Committee is doing with the intent of seeing if this is something they could do all the time. They are thinking of it as a silver-bordered holiday in some form. Hey, this is a fun, casual social format. Let's have some fun. The other context, grains of salt. Let me read to you the ban list. Real quick. The ban list consists of Ashnod's coupon, which makes target player get you a drink. There's the double cycle. It's from Unglued. One card in each color. It does something this game and the next game with that player. Enter the dungeon, which we talked about. It's a sub-game, and the winner of the sub-game gets to tutor for two cards. More importantly, the sub-game needs to be played literally underneath the table that you are playing the main game on. Yes, it has to be in the dungeon. There's Magical Hacker, which has an activated ability to invert pluses and minuses on a spell or permanent. Mox Lotus, which is a 15-mana artifact that taps for infinity or has an activated ability 100, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. There's Once More with Feeling, which is kind of like Jace the Mind Sculptor's alt if it were done to two people. R&D Secret Lair, which says you could ignore all errata. You can see how that would be problematic. Richard Garfield, who is a creature that can convert any card in your hand, or maybe it's creature, to anything with the same mana costs, but you can only use it, I think, technically once ever. It's very weird. Staying Power, which makes end-of-turn effects not end at end-of-turn. And finally... Time Machine, which is another card that involves interaction between games. Now, you have the shaker of salt necessary to discuss this issue. And if you would like, I can now answer your original question, Jacob, or I can turn it back on you. Oh no, I'd like to hear from you first. What, uh, how do you feel about this? I am not a fan, but not in the same way that I think a lot of people's knee-jerk reactions said they weren't a fan. In one of our Unstable episodes, and in at least one of my recently published articles where I use a silver-bordered commander, I talked about how I felt people should communicate regarding silver-bordered commander. It's, frankly, a lot similar to how I think you should communicate in a relationship, because your relationship with your friends that you play games with is a, you know, relationship. The three tiers that I outlined for, this was prior to this announcement, I had no knowledge of it, this is how I felt the situation ought to be handled. There are three tiers. The first tier is, we all sit down and play a game of Blackboarded Commander. I might groan when you put Aloro on the table, but unless I am really, really in a bad mood, I'm not going to ask you to not play a commander I dislike. Then there's the second tier, which is, my deck has a silver-bordered commander, but the deck is all black border. So everything that is silver about it, you can at least see immediately. You totally know it. I say... I would like to play this silver-bordered commander deck. Is that okay? And then everyone says, yeah, or no. And if someone says no, then I don't play it. Or I swap to a black-bordered commander for the deck. That's another nice thing about that tier. It's also eminently flexible. Then there's the third tier, which I think should be... We all agree, in much the same way that I would sit down with a table of friends and say, hey, do you all want to play Plane Chase? And if someone says, no, I really don't want to play Plane Chase right now, we won't play Plane Chase. The third tier is we all sit down and we say, we're going to play a game of Silver Bordered Commander. That means that our decks may have between 0 and 99 Silver Bordered cards. Well, I guess 100 Silver Bordered cards, but only 99 are in the deck and one's outside the deck. Anyway, then you know it's going to be unpredictable, but you've agreed to that. 
at least there's that. This is how I think that it should be handled regardless of season. My perspective on commander rules enforcement is that it should trend towards social. In an ideal world, we wouldn't need a rules committee because everyone could determine within their playgroup what's fun for them and what they would communicate and figure it all out. But we don't live in an ideal world, and communication is not necessarily a lot of people's best skills. And also, there are some playgroups where if I come into this playgroup and I say, hey, I'm not really a fan of the way that you guys play, can we change this thing? If they're established, they're going to say, no, we like that. So, sorry. Like, you're stuck with that. And sometimes that's fine. That's where it's nice for if a rules committee says, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. This thing is so unfun that it shouldn't be in our format. Or it's so powerful that it should not be in our format. And we should decree for all players this is the baseline. That's where the rules committee, I think, is useful. There have been a decent number of cards banned, and I think we discussed this. We did, many moons ago, being about a year, year and a half ago. We discussed the commander ban list. And there are some cards on there that I don't think need to be there because they didn't seem especially broken or especially annoying to me. I can agree that a Black Lotus is ridiculously good, and that shouldn't be legal in Commander. But I also think that Gaia's Cradle is ridiculously good and should not be legal in Commander. The Rules Committee disagrees about this, but we're living in a world where I don't really want to have like a heavily enforced ban list within my metagame. So that's another place the Rules Committee is nice. But I also have to question some of the cards banned when other cards can be relatably powerful. Now, Black Lotus and Guy's Cradle are definitely different beasts, but they're both cards that I would argue are ridiculously good, to the point that they should not be legal, in my opinion. Now, how does this get me all the way back around to Silver-Bordered Commander. Well, the cynics among you may say, Bryce, as much as you just rambled, I can't imagine that it does. And you know what? You'd be justified in saying that because that was a long roundabout path. But <laughs> what I prefer is that in this situation, the rules committee say, Commander is a game that is heavily social. When you are playing Commander, you are agreeing to a social contract with your players. Discuss with your metagame if you want this. Because if people enjoy Silver-Bordered Commander, be that commander with a silver-bordered commander, or commander with silver-bordered cards in the deck, or both, then there's no reason that a governing body should say it's allowed, it's not allowed. So it's almost like, in attempting to summarize this entire tirade I've just gone on, what I would prefer the Rules Committee to say is, it doesn't matter what time of year it is. It doesn't matter how recently a silver-bordered set has come out. If you like this, talk about it with your playgroup. Instead, what they've said is, it's the holidays, let's make this legal for everyone. And now they've gone too far the other direction. Instead of allowing players to socially define what they think is the best for their playgroup or for themselves, they've kind of given their stamp of approval, and as much as they have a stamp of approval, that until a certain date, a kind of arbitrary date, you can do this. So if I'm a player who loves Commander, but really, really, really does not want to play Silver-Bordered Commander... While I don't expect this will happen, what has just become technically allowable until January 15th is I stand on a table, my friend pulls out their all-gotcha mechanic deck, and the rules of the game are saying that that's okay? The only authority that there is outside of ourselves says that's okay. Overall, I think it's cute. I'm, I like that it happened, because it's interesting, but I would have much rather that interesting thing been communicate, and do what you want that your metagame agrees with. Jacob, I'm so sorry. I've just used up, like, a sixth of our episode on that one response. Please, makes my job easy. <laughs> I'm of a somewhat different but not necessarily opposed mind to all this. I agree that Commander is essentially a social format. And I think whenever you get into a group of friends who play Commander regularly, you're going to have certain things be permissible or less so over the course of gameplay. There are some decks that you'll just stop playing because they're not fun for anybody at the table. 
The value in legalizing silver-bordered cards in the format as a whole is twofold, I think. The first is that it starts conversations. Before, anybody who wanted to bring up the idea of silver-bordered commander, I think might have been able to do it, but the people who disagree would have very, very strong grounds to do so and might bring those in the group who might otherwise agree down by saying it's it's simply not legal. It's not feasible. The rules don't allow it. And by extension, because the rules don't allow it, the rules don't allow it for a very clear reason. So we can't play your fun, goofy, silver-bordered game. I think making it legal doesn't necessarily mean that the... Because I do think it is a minority. The minority of people who want to play a full silver-bordered game of Commander will be able to just plunk down and say, you gotta deal with my Herloon Wrangler. Darn it, I'm wearing jeans today. <laughs> Me too. This is the worst. I think what it'll instead do is have people say, okay, silver-bordered's a thing that we can do in Commander now. What does that look like? Oh, wow, these legendary creatures are neat. What kind of deck can I build? And starts the process of expanding the scope of what Commander can be. And following up with that, my second value that I get out of this is that it distinguishes Commander as a more social format. In recent months, Magic Proper and Wizards, the, the company that makes the actual game, have tried to do more competitive variants of Commander. This 1v1 Commander with its own ban list on Magic Online, and, and certain things like that, that boil down the format and keep the 100-card deck, one of which is your commander, Highlander style, but basically bring it back more towards a baseline game of Magic. As they do this, they get to have their own decisions as a company as to what this particular kind of format can do. And as they proceed in modifying this format, tweaking it, working on the ban list, building up support for it, it's gonna look more like a traditional game of Magic. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but in a sense, it is fundamentally different than what Commander typically is. It's a different game than the original style of Elder Dragon Highlander. So what this does, and what the Rules Committee kind of takes ownership of in making this kind of announcement, is saying, this format is set apart. There's something different about this format. There's something that can't be replicated by Wizards' own standards. There's something that really sets this game and this way of playing Magic apart from other forms. Is this overkill? Probably. If I were making the decision by my own self, I would not have made all silver-bordered cards legal. I probably would have just made Unstable legal. But it does plant a flag in the ground, it draws a line in the sand, and the Rules Committee says, hey, this is a magic format that is curated by a community. And so we're going to try weird stuff like this. We're going to have our own way of doing things. We're going to have our own standards by which we judge our format. And I think that's valuable. I think having ownership of Commander outside of Wizards, as much as I generally trust Wizards as a company, is meaningful. And to have a distinction like this in the rules is more than just saying, hey, go nuts, be crazy. It's saying this format is different. This game is different. You raise a good point that I hadn't really considered. The idea that this temporary decision by the Rules Committee helps to legitimize the idea because maybe you're right that the people who need more encouraging are the crotchety, not-in-my-commander people, as opposed to the people who are super enthused about Silver Border. Because I would much rather have a decision force people to think about or to consider the value in something that they weren't before. I'd much rather that happen as compared to someone's really, really interested in something, and a decision quashes it. Wow, this is starting to sound almost political. That's why I kind of opened this with a, is this a government thing? Is this a politics thing? Because in a way, it kind of is. It kind is. of is. It's, it's a, it's a, it is a governing body of some kind making a 
statement, something that is for all intents and purposes what you must do, a rule, a law, whatever. But it's one that encourages the higher flexibility option. And it's the one that might, that takes people and asks them to revisit their comfort zone. You know what? With the point you presented, and now that I think about it in this light, this is almost certainly better. I think it would have been valid for the rules committee to make a, a statement, you know, a, a statement for the press. A decree? A decree maybe not a decree. <laughs> a, a statement of, hey, communicate. Talk about the idea of silver border. I think that also could be effective, but what's also effective is saying, nope, this is how it is. Learn to adapt. It's not permanent, but, you know, think about it. It really does encourage people to keep an open mind. It's not permanent, and worst case scenario, you all just collectively talk about it and say, no, probably not. Sorry. Yeah, having thought about that and hear your argument, I actually much I much prefer that. Did I just win the first round of Talking Atlas Debate Club? I mean, I feel like when we consider opinions that are not our own, I feel like when we consider opinions that aren't our own and critically analyze them and decide if indeed our opinion is wrong, I think we all win. Shut up, hippie. Oh. And that's why the current state of American <laughs> politics is what it is. <laughs> And scene. Let's talk about these duplicate cards. Okay. Unstable surprised us with extra spoilers because there are many cards that have the same or similar names. Same or similar name. Names. Forget it. There are many cards with relatable names that do different things, which is another rule that silver-bordered magic can break and black-bordered magic can't because that's how rules work. We just spent 30 minutes talking about rules. Well, a little bit less than 30. Anyway, perhaps we shall start with Very Cryptic Command, because that was the one that I think we were the most confused about. Or rather... Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Yeah, that's that's our bad. This is... First we get into politics, now I'm going to talk about... I think that was maybe a lack of faith on our part. <laughs> that we saw a Very Cryptic Command, which we thought was the only Very Cryptic Command, and said... That's not very weird at all. Wow, that was just a bad choice, Wizards. It's just nothing. But Wizards has made nothing but good choices throughout this entire set. I'm going I'm to put a healthy little asterisk on the end of that, just yeah. in case. Yeah, no, but, asterisks, uh... <laughs> asterisks are good. I don't think we need to get into all the different variants of these cards, because we will be here all day. But some important things to point out are that there are, I think, six there different six versions. confirmed six variants of Very Cryptic Command. Whew. They are all modal spells... Choose two out of four different options. All of these options are all sorts of different things. So I, the intended effect here is that someone will play a very cryptic command and you will have no idea what the spell is going to do until they tell you. That is how cryptic it is. Notably, there is one of the cryptic commands that has different art. It's a, a kind of almost stippled looking black and white piece of art of instead of a goblin knocking over the bottle holding the cryptic liquid, the goblin is drinking it. The art is by Wayne England, and one of the modes says that you draw a card, and if the card you drew is by Wayne England, you can reveal it and draw another card. <laughs> Many of the commons in the set became significantly more interesting, and that's saying something because at least one of them I already raved about. That's amateur auteur. And I'm still, I still don't know if I'm pronouncing that quite correctly. It's not a word I've had to speak aloud before. You just always sound snooty when you say it. You can't help it. Auteur. Amateur auteur. Quite. The amateur auteur that we saw spoiled a week ago or more now had an actor in a production of Ravnica, the musical. And flavor text to match. There are three other variants. Okay, first of these three. The set dressing are bowl islands. Like the classic Zendikar bowl island. There are cardboard hanging bowl islands. Flavor text. The two Eldrazi titans fell and set the ground a-rumblin'. How come no one ever listens, old Ugin flew off grumblin'? 
They didn't have the apostrophe at the end of the INGs for either of those, but I'm glad that you put them in. Thank you. I am an artist. It's uh, I need to put some spins on things sometimes. Spins on things. That's the sentence. This is attributed, as you might have guessed, to Zendikar, the musical. Then there's a depiction of what almost looked like stone hydras and someone dressed as an Acroan soldier. Flavor text, Elspeth, blessed by Heliod, stepped up where the hydra trod. Soon afterward, a lesson learned. Soon afterward, a lesson learned. Attack the champion, get burned. It's from Theros, the musical. And finally... I'm sorry, what musical was it? Theros, the musical. Happy now? There we go. I'm very happy. And then we have someone in garb befitting a Cathar with cardboard graveyard, moon, and hell vault. Flavor text. So Grizzlebrand was bound, his rage brought to a halt. Till Lily Vess came round asking, hey, what's in the vault? And it's from... <clears throat> Innistrad! The musical. Support your independent theater, folks. Please, God knows we don't make money. <laughs> I further appreciate how the actor and the art is in the same pose every time, even holding yeah. different things. Jazz hands are multiversal. Oh, God. I, I realize what I now want, and it's a print of all four versions of this art. Ooh. Oh, it's like, it's... It's three of my favorite planes, and they all have a great color scheme together, and they're theatrical, and I'm theatrical. Oh, I should do that. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Are we going alphabetically for the rest of these variants? I have no idea. We already broke the rules, so do whatever your little heart desires. Cool. I'm both delighted and disappointed a little bit in this next set of variant cards, because there are a bunch of killbots in this set. They all occupy the same collector's number, I guess? Yep. Curious Killbot was the one Killbot that got spoiled. There are only three others, which doesn't give you quite enough for a Mario Kill Commander deck, but we'll make it work. The other three are Delighted Killbot, Despondent Killbot, and Enraged Killbot, and unlike most of the other variant cards, they are identical other than the name. And there's a tiny little tweak for each of their flavor texts to suit their mood. Which is perfect. They're so cute. A friend of mine gave a suggestion that would have fixed the kill bots because it's a very good silver-bordered solution, and I'm very upset that it didn't happen. Add a single word to the type line of the kill bots. Basic. Haha. <laughs> because if it's a basic card, then you can have as many as you want in your deck. I've heard that joke made, I mean, not joke made, that suggestion put forth for the only two cards in Magic that you can have any number of them in your decks, Shadowborn Apostle, well, sorry, other than Basic Lands, Shadowborn Apostles, and Relentless Rats. The idea of basic creature, cl human cleric. I wouldn't suggest doing it for Black Border, but I th it would have been nice to see in Silver Border, because that would, it would make sense, it'd be reasonable. I will communicate with my playgroup and see if I can get away with it. Thanks to the magic of Reddit, I learned there's one other cute thing about the Killbots, and that is that all of their names, Curious, Delighted, Despondent, and Enraged, fit between Contraption Cannon and Entirely Normal Armchair. So not only does every Killbot share the same collector's number, the name is always going to be alphabetically where it needs to be to make the collector's numbers make sense. Oh, that's so nice! When we last talked about every thingamajig, it made some sense because the version we saw interacted with any type of counter. It's like, okay, it's an every thingamajig because it can do things with all counters. But every thingamajig is another variant card. Once more, I'm not going to read them all. Suffice to say that almost every activated ability on an every thingamajig is taken from some other card for the most part. For example, there's one every thingamajig that has the Zurin Orb activated ability, as well as Ashnod's Altar. So the first one is sacrifice a land to gain two life. The second one is sacrifice a creature to add colorless, colorless to your mana pool. One of my favorite abilities references, I suspect at least, Liar's Pendulum. The ability here is one tap, say the flavor text on a card in your hand. Target opponent guesses that card's name. You may reveal that card if you do, and your opponent guessed wrong, draw a card. I would abuse that mercilessly just so that I could, during a silver-bordered game, 
for one mana and tapping my every thingamajig have a reasonable excuse to go chitty chitty bang 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 bang. Meanwhile, I'm imagining you playing every thingamajig, that variant, in a killbot deck where you read off the flavor text of the killbot, <laughs> and I have to guess from your inflection which one it is. <laughs> no, 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 no. I said were beep click, not were beep were were. That's curious and despondent for those of you playing at home. Roughly, I didn't actually scroll up to look at them. I just made sounds I knew were listed on the cards. <laughs> also in the vein of everything, Majig is Garbage Elemental. There are a bunch of variants of this card that just have a random assemblage of keywords and effects that kind of synergize with those keywords. I'd say there's a pretty good amount of synergy usually. There's yeah. one with Undying, so when it dies, it re-enters with a plus one, plus one counter. And it assembles a contraption when it enters, so it can make two contraptions. There's one that has Battle Cry, which when it attacks, it gives other attacking creatures plus one, plus O, oh, and it can make tokens. Oh yeah, and this one's got Unleash, so you can give it a plus one, plus one counter, and then any creature, each creature you control with any kind of counter on it has Art Menace. They can't be blocked except by creatures with two or more visible figures in their art. And then there's, by Jacob's estimation, the garbagiest of the garbage elementals, which is the one with Cascade. <sighs> Someone suggested that maybe these garbage elementals, the, the gag was keywords that we wouldn't see again. And I said to them, oh, this one has Undying. I hope that's not true. Oh, this one has Cascade. I hope that's true. <laughs> Sly Spy, another piece of egg on our face. We read the flavor text of Sly Spy, which listed off an acronym for Agents of Sneak. And we were like, oh man, a card in the set explained what it was. We were wondering, it was like, it just was left as an exercise to the viewer. That's weird. Every flavor text for Sly Spy has a different acronym for Agents of Sneak. Silent ninjas evading any capture. Sinister nerds eliminating all knowledge. <laughs> oh, Mark Rosewater, the father of all silver-bordered sets did a very good lore article that sort of took the form of a narrative that explained all of the different factions in Bablovia, where Unstable is set. And I adored the background for the Agents of Sneak because it started as a job board that just got wildly out of hand to the point where most Agents of Sneak are trying to get one over on each other. And the big objective that they're all trying to figure out is what the Agents of Sneak are for. <laughs> not what sneak stands for but what the agency the institution of the agents of sneak is stands attempting for. to do they want to know what their mission is that's their mission another note on sly spy all their arts are the same except for one that is facing right instead of left and it's because when it deals combat damage to a player you may destroy target creature facing right in its art and there's another one one of the other bunches that face left, that destroys a creature facing left. I love the reminder text. Creatures without faces don't face anywhere. <laughs> I didn't see that. What? I'm so <laughs> I'm so conditioned to ignore reminder text, Jacob. Right? Oh, One of so these good. spies makes you lose a finger. Not like with a cleaver. You, you can't use it for dice or poking things. What happened? I like that because there's no real downside for actually using it. Like there's no, if that player does, then something happens so it's cannot. not like right so it's not like the gotcha cards where you just stop doing things it's just oh uh well oh whoops, sorry got I've, lo I've lost that finger i can't use it anymore i'm i'm now scraping at my desk trying to imagine okay someone took out my pointer finger so i need to like pick up my card by pinching it between my middle finger and thumb and then turning it or like flipping it over one of my favorite rares from this set just based on flavor text alone, got a variant, got several variants. Ineffable Blessing. All of the different versions of Ineffable Blessing are about choosing something when it enters the battlefield, and then whenever a creature that corresponds to that something enters the battlefield, you draw a card. And all of the flavor texts are hallowed be this blank of blank, such as hallowed be this potpourri of sundry goods. Or hallowed be this assortment of diverse things. They are all in joyous celebration of a pile of different stuff. And as I said before, that is so me. 
The different stuff you choose includes rarity, an artist, a number being the number of words in the creature's name. I believe there was one for collector's numbers as well. Yes, there's even or odd collector's numbers, and then there's white-bordered or silver-bordered. These also encourage building around a particular theme with your deck, but nothing that's actually of any value. Nothing that would improve your game at all, except maybe playing a bunch of rare cards, but that might be cheating. The thing that absolutely kills me in this situation is I do like the idea of artist tribal decks, a commander deck where every single card in the deck, including commander and basic lands, are done by the same artist. The issue is, if you want to play Ineffable Blessing with the artist effect in your artist tribal deck, you can only do it perfectly if your artist tribal deck is for Milival Sharan. And let me tell you, that's going to be a problem because... The only art they have done so far is all in unstable. <laughs> oh, I lied. They also did Vanquisher's Banner in Ixalan and two tokens. Knight of the Kitchen Sink has a bunch of different variants with protection from an amusing pile of things again. Protection from even collector numbers. Protection from loose lips. Nothing with an open mouth in its artwork can block, target, deal damage to, or attach to this creature. There's also odd collector numbers, two-word names, and protection from watermarks. We probably need to go on to individual cards, so I'm going to give the, the last nod here. We really enjoyed the first, when we thought it was the only, rendition of Extremely Slow Zombie, with flavor text that we presume to be the start of it saying brains, but very, very slowly, and I'm not doing the bit, Jacob, because you did it last time and it took forever. But it has four seasons represented in each of its arts and goes through... God damn it. Goes through <laughs> the entirety of what Jacob was just saying throughout its four flavor texts until it ends on ns with an exclamation point. Okay, Jacob, we've got... Now only some three or four days of non-duplicate silver border cars to discuss, so let's pick one and let's go. Contraptions are here. Lots of them. Oh, God, they're, there's so many. They're all pretty good. They're all pretty okay. I'd be happy to assemble any of them. I, they're not at all individually interesting, I think, so we're going to go right past them. They all have very good art, and they make a neat little panorama with the Wait. same watermarks. A minute. There is one thing I want to say that I don't think I said in the podcast because I think it was in the corrupted episode, but memory is hard. You better tell me right now. All right. I very much appreciate how each faction has mechanically distinct cards being used for its contraptions. I wasn't really sure how you could differentiate contraptions. I was thinking, well, is a contraption deck just going to be whichever contraptions I like? But no, there is actual synergy. For example, I think the Agents of Sneak have a theme of having more creatures or dealing combat damage to players. The Order of the Widget has contraptions that, in addition to doing a thing to a creature, also make it an artifact. And then there are other contraptions and effects that scale with the number of artifacts you control. I thought that was a really good choice, and I look forward to seeing further contraptions in the future so that we can see different contraption sub-themes and be able to make appreciably different decks that use contraptions. Excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. There's a very detailed augment here that I absolutely adore because it's a train. It's the steam-powered, and it has augment four which is you can strap it onto a host uh, for four mana. And for five generic mana, you can activate the ability that the host would have. And it gives zero and four. And it just makes the front of whatever creature that you've got on the battlefield a train. It goes even further to show what kind of weird design space you can have in a host augment mechanic if it were put into black border. Most of them are triggers. But hey, you can also do activated abilities. There's nothing stopping you. We're going to be jumping around really randomly here. Next, really epic punch. One in a green for a sorcery. Target creature you control gets plus two, plus two if it is a host or has augment. Then it fights target creature you don't control. The, the art is a bear punching a dragon. The flavor text is it smarts more than the average bear. This is a reference to cons of Tarkir block. In the Kanza Tarkir timeline, Serac Dragonclaw of the Teamer is seen punching out a bear, and he's a total badass. In the Dragons of Tarkir timeline, Serac is shown punching out a dragon, and he's a total badass. And it was something of a meme. It's also worth noting that this card gives plus two plus two permanently, not till end of turn. 
this might be a joke, or it might specifically be a reference to the card Riding the Dilu Horse, which is also a green buff spell that doesn't say till end of turn despite being an instant or a sorcery. I also just want to point out that that is not a bear punching out a dragon. That is a half bear, half dragon punching out a half dragon, half dragon. <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. Crabbed Bunker, four red green for an enchantment. At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, that player moves a permanent he or she controls to touch Cramped Bunker and no other permanents. If he or she can't destroy each permanent that player controls that isn't touching Cramped Bunker, then sacrifice it. The most important thing about this card is that it was designed by Richard Garfield and not for Unstable, but for Dominaria. So I am so excited to what? see. Yeah. What? Yeah. This was designed for a Blackboarder set? Are you kidding me? Because when you're Richard Garfield PhD, you make the rules. You do whatever you want. They call you in to make a set and you're like, sure, here's a card. And they go, no, it isn't. And you go, I'm Richard Garfield. <laughs> what the hell? And they say, yes, sir, but we're life? going to have to put it in the silver bordered set. And he goes, boom, already made the money. <laughs> what is that what is dominaria going to be oh my god <laughs> i'm so excited because richard garfield creator of magic the gathering is back on the design team for dominaria and if this is just one of the things that he turned in i i don't know what to expect from that set and that makes me very happy oh god all right i'm gonna i'm gonna put that in a can in my head so I can process it later. Kids, do not follow that lesson with your emotions. It ends poorly. Next, Masterful Ninja. Two and a black for a troll ninja. You can reveal it to make it simultaneously in your hand and on the battlefield. It's a troll ninja because there's no ninja in the art. It's just an empty room. Oh, there's a ninja there. He's just very okay, yes. good. Yes, he's very good. Okay, c carry on. The <laughs> <laughs> Brainiacs are here. This one is named Paniac, and that makes me happy. Paniac is two and a red for a creature subtype Brainiac. Yes! At the beginning of your upkeep, roll a six-sided die. Paniac gets plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is the result. You're about to be struck by a brilliant idea. <laughs> Important context. One of the members of the Cabal, the League of Dastardly Doom, is the big idea. He's a legendary creature Brainiac villain. He's a 4-4 four -four for four red-red. Two black red hybrid, black red hybrid, tap, roll a six-sided die, create a number of 1-1 one, one red Brainiac creature tokens equal to the result. Tap three untapped Brainiacs you control. The next time, you would roll a six-sided die instead. Roll two six-sided dice and use the total of those results. I really love the subtype Brainiac. It's very weirdly specific, but remarkably cohesive. I believe all of the Brainiacs roll dice in some way or another. Yep. And visually, they're all the trope of robot brain augment. The big idea seems to be largely humanoid, but he has a giant like tank or galaxy of brains above him. Paniac also has the, the brain somewhere there. Inhumaniac is very clearly a brain in a tank. And they just have such great names. Oh, God, yes. Chivalrous Chevalier is mostly notable to me for its flavor text. I treat every foe according to the highest codes of conduct. Then I kill them. <laughs> I'm going to list off a bunch of hosts here because they're all very good and you should imagine the kinds of creatures that you can combine with them. Feisty Stegosaurus, Wild Crocodile, Common Iguana, Bumbling Pangolin. Who on the design team pitched Bumbling Pangolin as a name because it's so beautiful? They all do enter the battlefield things. They're hosts. You're supposed to make them cool by strapping things to them. Obligatorily, this being the first unset since we've had Planeswalkers, we have a silver-bordered Planeswalker. Not only that, it's the first ever five-color Planeswalker. Not only that, it's Urza. Just from the neck up. Urza, Academy Headmaster. White, blue, black, red, green for a legendary Planeswalker, Urza. Enters with four loyalty. It has a plus one, a minus one, and a minus six. All of them say, head to Ask Urza, ha, huh? head to, ha, huh? askurza.com and pick the corresponding loyalty value. So in some ways, at least this specific way, we've yet to determine what every card in this set is. We have more spoilers because on December 8th, which at time of recording is in two days, we'll actually learn what 
Urza can do. This card also has absolutely gorgeous art by Therese Nielsen, including a number of, I want to say obscure, but for a an old school magic fan, they're probably not that obscure in jokes in the background. The one of which that was pointed out to me is that there is a there's a toy on the desk of Urza Academy Headmaster that is a squeeze toy that is modeled off of Squeeze Toy, the toy belonging to a goblin named Squee. Which was, notably, part of the legacy weapon. Yes. Another card here is As Luck Would Have It. Green for an enchantment with hexproof. Whenever you roll a die, put a number of luck counters on As Luck Would Have It equal to the result. Then if there are 100 or more luck counters on As Luck Would Have It, you win the game. This is a reference to not only alternate win effects. There's one that for every coin flip that you win, you get a luck counter, I think. But also to Helix Pinnacle, which allows you to just pump mana into a thing and eventually win the game because you did it a lot. And I appreciate how almost one-to-one they are. They're both one-mana enchantments. One has Hexproof, one has Shroud, because Helix Pinnacle is older. And they both cap out at 100. Helix Pinnacle just has an activated ability, X put X tower counters on it, and you win it for 100 or more. For a while, Mark Rosewater was promising us that we would have a vanilla Mythic in a set. That is, a card that is Mythic rare, but has no rules text. That's what vanilla means. It's in this set. It's silver-bordered. It's called Infinity Elemental. Four red, red, red. Four, and Infinity Five! Oh, hey, there's a Beeble in this set. There is! And it's a Beeble that gives me an advantage. Blurry Beeble is one blue mana for a 1-1 artifact creature cyborg Beeble. It has Blurry. This creature can be blocked only if defending player was wearing glasses as it was cast. Ha! Take it! Friends of mine with 2020 eyesight. High five, Jacob. Yeah. How do we do this? I, I'll I'll walk over. It'll cool. Be okay. Also, whatever blurry beeble deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card if you do discard a card, which is a remarkably mundane ability. I would love to approach a recent magic player someone who does not have much historical context for the game someone who's only been playing for a few months or a year or two and say which of these two types do you think is an actual magic creature type cyborg or beeble because <laughs> i honestly wouldn't if i were a new magic player i wouldn't know how to answer for those who don't know the answer is beeble because cyborg is sci-fi and we can't have sci-fi in our magic game right you can only be a construct beeble or a human construct beeble, or something. <laughs> I wasn't originally going to talk about Goblin Haberdasher, but then I looked at its type line a little bit more. Goblin yep. Haberdasher is two and a red for a 2-2 creature Goblin Hatificer. It's got menace, and other creatures you control wearing hats in their art have menace. So for your Innistrad tribal deck, everything has menace. It's fine. A really small sub-mechanic of Unstable is drawing cards from opponents' libraries or else returning a thing to its controller's hand rather than its owner's hand. One card here, when it deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card from their library. It's a 1-3 with flying for 2 blue-blue. Its name is Spy Eye. Its creature type is Eye Spy. Heh. 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 Yahoo! In a similar vein is Graveyard Busybody. Four blue-blue for a creature human spy. All graveyards are also your graveyards. Graveyard Busybody's power and toughness are each equal to the number of cards with flavor text in your graveyards. That actually... Oh, wow. I would play that in Tassiger now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, you would. That's just good. Oh. Oh, Wow. I think there's only one more card that I personally really want to talk about here, and that's Staff of the Letter Magus. It's three mana for an artifact. As it enters the battlefield, choose a consonant other than N, R, S, or T. Whenever a player casts a spell, you gain one life for each time the chosen letter appears in that spell's name. Flavor text, a symbol of blank, in blank times. Importantly, the art is by Daniel Lundgren. Daniel Lundgren is among my favorite artists. This references a cycle, Staff of the blank Magus. Pain Magus, I think, is one... No, Death Magus is one of them. And fought, like Flame Magus. All of them have flavor texts that are a symbol of 
something in something times. They're really bad. They're whenever you cast a spell of the staff's chosen color, or when a land of the appropriate basic land type ETBs under your control. So staff of the flame magus is three mana for an artifact. Whenever you cast a red spell or a mountain ETBs under your control, you gain a life. They're all awful. They're terrible cards. But this references them so well with one of my favorite artists, and I love it. Importantly, Daniel Lundgren is the one who did the art for the whole cycle. There are two cards left that I want to talk about, and they are both legendary creatures, and they are both from the Agents of Sneak. X is blue and black for a 2-2 legendary creature human spy. As long as X is in X's owner's opponent's hand, X's owner may cast X and activate X's abilities. That opponent can't cast X and plays with his or her hand revealed. Two and a black, tap, put X into target opponent's hand. Three blue black, you may play a card in the same hand as X without paying its mana cost. I adore the different ways that the agents of Sneak just steal things from your opponents. They're so silver-bordered, they're so interesting mechanically, and they're so flavorful. These are master thieves that have no aim but to steal. The other one is Phoebe, Head of Sneak. One blue-black for a 2-3 legendary creature human spy. Phoebe, Head of Sneak, can't be blocked by creatures with flavor text. And she has an activated ability, two blue-black. Phoebe permanently steals target creature's text box! I have officially become an unset convert. Yeah, same here. I'm not actually upset about that. This this has been a lot of fun. It's just tiring. That's what the sigh was for. <laughs> this has been a very active episode. Whew. We had a lot of a lot of highs and lows here. A lot of different energy ranges. Yes. And best of all, I had I had a spare moment to collect all the papers I scattered on the ground. <laughs> Turns out at least three of them were sheet music, and maybe only one of them was from my last doctor's appointment visit. Good. Well, Jacob, if someone wanted to see what your Brainiacs had on the brain, where could they go? They could find me anywhere they find somebody named Frogger, spelled P-H-R-A-W-G-E-R. That's Twitter, that's Tumblr, that's Reddit, and not a lot stays in the brain for very long, so that's going to be a difficult question. And Bryce, if someone wanted you to help them figure out how to emote in the style of a particular killbot, where would they be able to find you? They can find me on Twitter as walking underscore atlas, or you can email us at info at opalnebula.com. Let me tell you, no joke, I am the master of expressiveness. That's what my acting career is founded upon. I actually was once told that a friend of mine came and saw a show, enjoyed it, came back the second time, and just watched my expressions and enjoyed it just as much. For more Talking Atlas, find us on iTunes, Google Play, or our website, opalnebula.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please consider finding us on Patreon at patreon.com slash opalnebula. We hope that you all are enjoying Unstable this release weekend or some other point from now until the end of time. But until next time, happy planeswalking, everyone. <laughs>